0: you know, the process of birth, it's a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? I don't know if we really spend much time thinking about it. There's a man by the name of Dr. Alexander Sarris, probably mispronounced his word. Fortunately, he has no clue who I am and will probably never hear this. But uh, Dr. Alexander took the MRI and he mapped the entire birth process from conception to birth. You can get on YouTube or one of these things, and you can watch this whole thing. It's incredible. And he did a TED talk. I don't know. Does anybody know what a TED talk is? Anybody those? Oh, okay, good, good. A couple of you do. TED stands for technology, entertainment, design, and it's a forum to where people who are experts in their field, whether in technology, uh, um, technology, design, entertainment, come and they give a five, ten-minute speech on uh, their topic. And some of it is just incredible. It's fascinating to hear some of these things. And and Doctor uh, Saris did a TED talk on his whole thing with the MRI, and it left people pretty astounded. And uh, to actually visibly watch the whole process. Uh, Doctor Alexander is a Christian. The man who invented the MRI, Doctor Damadian, was a Christian, a believer, and. Uh, and the whole design of the MRI was somewhat stolen from him and produced somewhere else. But uh, you can get on the internet, you can watch this whole process with birth. And I'm telling you, it is a wonderful, wonderful miracle, this miracle of birth. And I don't mean to shock anybody this morning. I, I like to sometimes shock people, but not really. But this, everybody in this room is here because of the process of birth and reproduction. It's not a shock, is it? <laughs> I mean, that's, we're, we're all here because of this. But let me ask this. How many remember the day you were born? Nope. Nobody. Isn't that weird? You would think something as, as monumental as that, as miraculous as that, you'd think we might remember, but we don't remember a thing about it. I do know a couple things of my birth. I knew, and I do know, that I was born at a very young age about nine months, somewhere around there. I know that I was born at Cox North Hospital in Springfield. It was just Cox. or wasn't south. It was just Cox. I was born there. I know I was born on November 17. I, remember that. I, I do know that. I was told that. But what's funny about this is that everything I know about my birth and what you know about your birth is second-hand information. My parents told me, my siblings told me, my grandparents told me, my aunts and uncles told me. So I was like at the end of the end of the end. My, my dad was the last of four, and he's about 13 years from his oldest sister. I was the last of, of my four siblings, and I'm about 10 years between my siblings, and I'm just at the end. I have cousins that are as old as my parents, you know, things like this. And, and it's, yeah, I'm just at the end. And everybody knew about my birth but me, pretty much. Although I don't remember anything about it, the only reason I really know that I was born, and the only reason that you know why you were born, I'm I'm getting real deep here, I know, the only reason you know that you were born is, voila, you're here this morning, right? Right. Are you convinced that you were born at one time in life? Yes. We're convinced about it. And the only way that I could be here today is through the process of the, the birth process. the way God designed it. It's the only way anybody in this room could be here today is through the process of birth. So even without any documentation, according to well-proven processes, if I am aware of my existence, the only way I got here was only one way, which was the same process that you got here by birth. I think I've established that. I probably don't need to go on any further into that, but interestingly in our passage today in John chapter 3, Brother Jim read from this, Jesus is going to illustrate through the natural birth process how it is one comes into a relationship with God. And the term he uses, and we're all familiar with it, is the term born again. And I want to ask a question this morning. I know uh, the crowd I'm preaching to by and large I would, could probably surmise by uh, by history and some evidence that most everybody in this room is either saved or claims to be but I want to ask a question this morning are you born again I don't ever want to take anything into uh, for granted that somebody who has lived a long life under the un, under the sound of the gospel I wouldn't want to take for granted that they are born again. And as we preach, and one thing I like about expository preaching, uh, it has to have application or else it's just a bunch of teaching. But chapter 3, don't get me on that. Chapter 3, we're just going along in our text in John. We're preaching through John, and here we are, chapter 3. And we have the question this morning, are you born again? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? And how do you know you have? And Jesus is going to look at this this, in this passage, and when we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3, chapter 3 opens up with a meeting, a secret meeting between Jesus and a Pharisee. We have his name here, his name is Nicodemus, and we are given two insights into this man Nicodemus. Number one, he's a Pharisee. Number two, he is a, a ruler of the people, meaning he was on the council of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Pharisees. Let me give you a little background of these people. This was a sect within Israel at the time of Jesus' time. There were approximately four, I believe. There's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and then there is a kind of an unknown, the never mentioned by Jesus in the Bible, the Essenes. They lived out in the, by the Wadi Qumran. They're responsible for what we have as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They are not more Bible, more Scripture. We have the complete Word of God. They like to copy the Word of God. And they made, made, made lots and lots and lots of copies, which were discovered in the 40s up in these caves around, around the Wadi Qumran, and they called them the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was another group called the Essenes. So there's about four sects within Israel at that time. The Pharisees were about six thousand in number, approximately six thousand. They were rabbis, not all of them, but many of them could be rab- they, But the, many of them were rabbi- rabbis. But you did not have to be a rabbi to be a Pharisee. They were de- they dedicated themselves to keep what we would call the codified law. And by the codified law, what I mean by that is that the scribes. That was another group of people. They wrote down, they copied, they wrote the law. They wrote down the word of God. So the scribes would would take the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, what we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Penta means five. The first five books, what was called the law, and they would write down, they would copy and transcribe the law. Sometime, find somewhere where you can find the process of, that they took in copying the Word of God. It's incredible. Incredible. If they misspelled a word, the entire document was gotten rid of and it was started over. And when they came to the word God, many times they would uh, throw away the, the, the instrument that they used to write with and get another one and start after the word God was done. If they came to the word Jehovah, I was told sometimes they would even change garments and start over after they wrote Jehovah. It was incredible. Incredible, the care they took for the word of God. These were serious people. Serious. This wasn't, this wasn't Zondervan making a buck. Okay? These were people that believed that they had the true word of God. And they believed responsible for it. So the scribes, they would take the Pentateuch, but they would interpret. The other problem, though, is they would go on and interpret what the law meant. What it meant. Let me give you an Example. God gave a law. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Good principle today that people seem to have forgotten. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But the scribes would take that and they would write what it means as well and how it's applied to your daily life. So the scribes would take that one command and they literally wrote 24 chapters on what it meant and how it was to be obeyed. 24 chapters from one phrase. Wow. They did this throughout the entire book, throughout the entire five books of the Pentateuch. They did that through all of them. And it it was compiled into a book that they called, some of you may know this, the Mishnah. This was the codified law. And so this is the book that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, that as a Pharisee, that he lived by, and not only lived by, the, but that, that he was under obligation, he believed, to protect and to guard the Mishnah. It's this guy who's coming to Jesus by night. Not only was he a Pharisee, but he was on the council of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was, a, was an assembly of 23 or 71 rabbis. They were always rabbis. And this assembly of the Sanhedrin was a tribunal which were, were, could be present in every city in Israel. They were also Pharisees. You had to be a Pharisee to be a Sanhedrin, but you didn't have to be a rabbi to be a Pharisee. It's, yeah, convoluted. They were Pharisees. They were the supreme religious body in Israel. They were the final authority on Jewish law. If you had a question on the Mishnah, on how it was to be lived out, and there was, a dis- there was a disagreement on it, it was brought to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin would say, no, this is what you do. And you did it. And if you didn't do what the Sanhedrin said, it was punishable by death. Can I, re- can I remind you of somebody? Remember Stephen? Remember Stephen? He was standing before a Sanhedrin council is what he was doing. He was standing before a bunch of Pharisees preaching Jesus Christ, which to them totally contradicted the Mishnah. And it was the Apostle Paul who would later be the Apostle Paul, whose clothes was laid at his feet, who consented unto Stephen's death because he came against what he would have called the Mishnah. This was the group, the council of the Sanhedrin. They had great power. So watch this. Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's a on the council of the Sanhedrin who not only knows the law, but is responsible to keep the law and to protect the law. This guy came to Jesus by night. Now you see why he came by night. He was a chicken. He wanted to preserve his own neck. Yeah. But he had some questions. So... He comes to Jesus to not really have some questions answered, I say, of necessary the law, but of the heart. He knows the law. No, this Pharisee coming to Jesus is like a Supreme Court justice going to one of his law clerks to interpret a law for him. It's not happening. This is the highest you can get. These people are w- well know the law. And so notice first how Nicodemus dr- addresses Jesus here. He addresses Jesus as rabbi. Look at this first one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. He gives Jesus really the same title he would have had. This, this man, Nicodemus, he was a rabbi. Sanhedrin had to be. He was a rabbi. A, a rabbi was one who was responsible for teaching the law. The Pharisee addressed the legal aspects of the law. The rabbis addressed the spiritual aspect and the teaching of the law. Rabbis would speak in the temple and he would have been a spiritual leader. He would have been a counselor. He would have been a role model in Israel. And although not all Pharisees were rabbis, only rabbis were on the council of the Sanhedrin, as I said, and so by calling Jesus a rabbi, Nicodemus is establishing the reason he's coming to Jesus. He's not coming to him because of the law, the codified law to get some understanding. He's coming to him as a rabbi, as teacher, as instructor, as counselor in the moral aspect of his relationship with God. Yeah. He knows how the law is supposed to be applied. He doesn't understand what it means to the heart. This is what's going on here. He has a head knowledge, but there's something going on in his heart that he can't explain. He's heard Jesus. He's seen, we're gonna see this. He's seen Jesus. So this great Pharisee, this great rabbi on the highest council in Israel is coming to this little known, this little known teacher to ask some questions. And notice what he says in verse 2 We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. He says, we know you're a teacher. We know you're come from God. And we know that only God can do miracles. He's a lot of deductive reasoning here. But notice something else that jumped out at me that I just love. Do you know this little word there? Look at that. We. We know. Well, who's we? We. Who's we? The other Pharisees. The other council, they've been talking. They've come to some conclusions based on the law, based on their Mishnah, based on whatever else they have, that God does miracles. And if somebody would is a teacher like Jesus is a teacher, and does miracles like Jesus does miracles, God has to be with them. And this is what they, the conclusion that they have come to. And so Nicodemus isn't the only Pharisee that's come to this conclusion so, that he, so, so, so he ends up acknowledging that Jesus is a teacher. He does authentic miracles. He has come from God and God is with him. This is a huge step for a Pharisee. Think of the thousand, what 4,000 years of tradition within Israel. Yes, they were looking for the Messiah. Yes, they were waiting for the Messiah. Not this guy. No, they have the same problem as we do today. Remember what Jesus said, Ye do er not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God? Same problem today. Jesus people today pass right by Christ. Too busy. Yeah. So Jesus responds to him in verse 3. It kind of seems like a strange response, actually. Nicodemus didn't really quite ask a question, made some statements, and verse 3 the Bible says Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Was there a question asked? Uh, but Jesus knows the heart, doesn't he? Yeah. He knows the heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. Nicodemus coming to Jesus was not for more understanding the law. As I said, he had something going on in his heart. Look again at verse 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know this is a radical thing to say to a Pharisee? Born again? Born again? Think about this. It was their old birth that made them right with God. It was their old name. It was their ancient lineage that solidified their security in heaven. The covenant came through Abraham, Isaac, and through Jacob. And their birth meant that they were a part of the covenant. No, this was huge. Now Jesus comes along and says, you've got to be born again? That doesn't fit. But what Jesus is saying essentially is, your old birth cannot get you into heaven. It's not in the old birth. The family you were born into is not sufficient to make you right with God. No. So Jesus' response only sends Nicodemus into further confusion. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Very logical question. Logical question. But Jesus goes and answers him in verse 5. And says, verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This verse has produced many different thoughts and false doctrines. What on earth does born of water mean? I think I know a former Campbellite who will tell me what it doesn't mean. Amen, brother? We know what it doesn't mean. That's right. Might have you come up and finish this right here. Just this point, not the whole thing. No, I'm joking. Some say water is referring to water baptism here. You've got to be baptized to be saved. Baptized to be saved. Some say that the word water here is referring to the word of God. Now, don't, don't jump the gun on me here. I don't believe there's enough evidence for either of these. First of all, baptism can't save. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. But just in case you're wondering, I'll, t- I'll take a little bit of time to tell you that we are sinners and God is not. We know that, don't we? We are sinners and God is not. And the only way back to God is to have our sins removed and water doesn't wash away sin. It's not possible. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away sin. We know Hebrews 9.22. We know that where it says in, the, in, in, in almost all things... Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Leviticus seventeen eleven. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Listen to this. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Water does not wash away sin. It's not possible. But what about the Word of God? You know what it says in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Let me read it to you. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. That He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. See, this was written to believers about this sanctification process. God sets apart His children at salvation and, and we go through a continual cleansing process because we live in a dirty world Uh, surrounded in sin and we get into sin ourselves. We say it this way. God said this. He promised that He would ever, He he would ever conform us to the image of His Son. Sanctification. And it's done by the Word of God. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And John said, Jesus said in John 15 that you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. So the Word of God is cleansing to the believer. And it is by the Word of God that we're saved. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, but by, uh, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." Now, Now, don't get too ahead of me here. It's not as settled as you might think. There's one thing to take into consideration of chapter 3. Is it water? Is it the Word? Is it baptism? Is it the Word of God? context context what is this talking about look at verse 6 that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit verse 6 answers it so well doesn't it so tidy and neat and actually when we understand the context of the whole chapter it makes total sense of what Jesus is trying to drive home to this Pharisee who thinks his physical birth has everything to do with his getting to heaven. The water is referring to the natural, physical birth. Her water broke. You know what that means? It's coming. (laughs) It's coming. Child's been protected by that water sack for nine months. And if he comes out naturally, that sack has got to break. And that late, don't miss this. Then that baby will leave the habitat it was living in and will break into a new habitat he has never lived in before. Can I tell you, death is the same process? Yeah, we're living in a habit. This is that baby comes out of that habitat and he's really upset about it, never lived anywhere else. And I tell you what, we're going to leave this veil, this veil of of this physical earth someday when this body goes into the grave and we'll go into a place that we've never been before. We're going to be born once again into our spiritual realm. But see, here in this chapter, Jesus is differentiating between two different births. Physical birth and spiritual birth. Now, it seems obvious that one must have a physical birth, before they can have a spiritual birth, right? Dead people can't get saved. Right. But remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a Pharisee who believes his physical birth was sufficient. And Jesus says it is not. That's what he's saying here in chapter 3. To come to a right relationship with God, there must be a spiritual birth. Spiritual birth. Now remember here in chapter 3, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said in verse 3? Except a man be born again, he cannot enter, he cannot see the, the, the kingdom of God. That word see is the same word in verse 5 as uh, uh, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That word enter and that word see the same word. If you're not born again, you will never experience, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. Now I've told you before the difference between the kingdom and the church. The church is visible and local. The the kingdom is invisible. The Bible says over here in John that the the kingdom is within us. So everybody has been saved, born again of the Spirit of God as a part of the kingdom of God. But not everybody is a member of a church that Jesus started. So I love digressing on that. It's not even in here. But it needs to be remembered. (laughs) So what is the kingdom here? If you're here this morning, and you have been born into a physical kingdom, you may not have been born into the spiritual kingdom. Yeah, Adam and Eve were created perfect, weren't they? Their spirit was alive and able to, and able to have perfect communion with God. But when they chose to sin, just as God said they would that very day, they... Died. They did not die physically, obviously, but they died spiritually. And because of the choice of Adam and Eve, after them there is not one person that has ever been born into this world, into the kingdom, uh, in, in, into this physical realm with an alive spirit. Except for Jesus Christ. Yeah. God is a spirit. And sin killed it. Sin killed it. So it's not possible to be born right with God. It's not possible to come into this life right with God because we're sinners with a dead spirit. And our relationship with God was severed at the garden. We see you know, we see this in the physical realm, don't we? When somebody passes away, no, your relationship stops. Oh, it's wonderful in the memory. And, and the memory can be so vivid, it's as if they may be there still. But they're not. I remember... When my grandfather died, he was ninety-four, he was born in 07. And I would go to him for lots of questions, lots of questions. And it was I enjoyed that. And it was about a week after he died, somebody asked something, and he would he was very good with family history. He said there's five spellings of the name Eccles. Eccles. Five spellings. Brothers, five brothers came over from Germany. They got gambling. Four of them got they got mad at each other, and four of them changed the spelling of their last name. So there's five different spellings. This was before Internet and Google. He told me this. And it's like, hey, there are five spellings. Did you know that? Miss Eccles over there? Yeah. Yeah. And about ten minutes later, he piped up. I was in the kitchen. He goes, but my great-grandfather is illegitimate. And they don't really know if he took the mother's name or the father's name. It's like, well, what's it matter now? Oh, my word. He, he, you could always go to for, for some information. About a week after he died, maybe a couple weeks, somebody asked something. I said, oh, I need to go ask Paul. Like ooh, he's not here. Yeah, no, you can't communicate with them. They're gone. They've died. Yeah. We are all born into the spirit into the, the. I'm sorry. We are all born into this physical realm, spiritually dead. We do not have communion with God. Uh, we'll clear this up in a minute. We're, we're not going down the path of a Calvinist here. They, they totally misdefined what dead means. Yeah, Romans three ten through 11 the Bible says, as it, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. You say, I sought God. No, He started. You didn't start it. He did. Ephesians two and verse one, you hath he quickened who are dead and trespasses and sins. And down in verse five, he says, "And when we were, and when I'm sorry, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace." Are you saved? We are, were born dead in sin, so we must answer the question: If the spirit, if the kingdom of God is spiritual, and we are born into the physical, how does the physical get into the spiritual? How does something dead be made alive again? Right? You say, I'm already born again. Listen, no, God is going to put people in your path that you're going to have to answer this question for. So listen up. You're going to have to answer this. How is something dead made alive? Look what Jesus says in verse 7. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Born again. He had already mentioned this to Nicodemus. Kind of sent him scattered, didn't know how to take it. Jesus hits it again here. The only ones who can enter the kingdom of God are those whose dead spirits have been made alive. You must be born again. Again? Yeah, again. Why? Because Adam and Eve's spirits were once alive and when they willfully sinned, they died. They were alive once and they're dead now. And now every one of us born of Adam and Eve, which is all of us in here, down that line, were born dead. They ate the fruit. God went and dealt with their sin. Punishment was meted out. They were kicked out of the garden. And the world has been looking ever since for one to fix it. And little did this Pharisee know that the one he came to ask the questions was the one who was going to fix it all. (laughs) And he said, you must be born again. Life must be placed into a dead carcass. It's not something you can see. Look at verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. But just, listen, you can't see it. I'm so glad you sang that song. I didn't even ask you to sing that. I know who I have believed. Listen. Just as you know the wind is there because of the evidence of it, you can feel it, you know it, you have no clue how that wind comes or where it comes from, especially in this time. Yeah, the weatherman who always gets the weather right will tell you how the wind is created, you know, but uh, you don't really know where it comes from except you feel it. And just as you know the wind is blowing, you know when the Spirit of God makes your dead spirit alive again. You know it. You know it. Yeah, Just as there is a day for our physical birth, there is a day for our spiritual birth. We came into a relationship with the living God. And although we can see a physical birth, that's pretty obvious. It's not always possible completely to know how God has chosen to rebirth our spirit just as you know your own existence. You know when you've been born again. You know it. You remember the day. But how? Somebody may be here today. I don't know. Okay, uh, you may say, yeah, I know there's a difference between the spiritual birth and the, and, and the physical birth. Yes, I understand that Jesus said you must be born again. But, but how are you born again? What is the trigger? What is the switch that makes a dead person alive. Verse 14-15, through would you read this with me? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Belief. Belief. Jesus is going to be lifted up on Calvary. The Father is going to accept His blood for the remission of sin. All of the wrath of the Father would fall on Jesus that day instead of you or I. And He would, he would physically die that day But on the third day, we sang about that as well. I'm never picking songs again. On the third day, He will physically walk out of the grave alive forevermore. And that He did exactly on the third day. No more blood of goats. No more blood of bulls. No more slaughtering of sheep. Jesus paid it all. It's all taken care of. And just like those in the Old Testament who believed what God said and obeyed God by bringing sheep to be sacrificed, salvation is no different today. It is no different. We believe what God said about His Son. We believe what He said, don't you? This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. What did Jesus say? You must be born again. We believe what God said about His Son. We believe what Jesus said about Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. We believe what God said about us, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Over in Isaiah 64, God went to say that we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Yeah. And when we believe what God said about Jesus, and when we believe what Jesus said about Himself, And when we believe what God said about us, the only thing left for us to do is to repent, change what we used to think, and approach God, confessing that you're a sinner, and ask Him to make the perfect record of Jesus your record. Yeah. Look what He told the Pharisee in verse 15. Look at this. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Belief. Belief in what God said. Do you believe what God said? Do you believe what He said about you? Do you believe what He said about Jesus? We've dealt with this on the deity of Christ. It's not possible to have a right relationship with the Father if you reject the godness the deity of jesus christ it's not possible salvation is not for this what jesus is saying here salvation is not for those of abraham's seed alone salvation is not for those born into christian families for no one born spirit, physically is simultaneously born spiritually no listen listen to this this is where we're coming to your catholicism will not get you to heaven Your Baptist parents will not get you to heaven. Your baptism will not get you to heaven. Your supposed gifts of the Spirit will not get you to heaven. Your Whatever you want to fill the blank in with will not get you to heaven. It's not possible. The only thing that makes a wicked, lost sinner right in the sight of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood will be applied to your account when you approach God and you repent of your sins and ask God to give you Jesus' record. That's when it's taken care of. It's for a whosoever will. Isn't that wonderful? Remember what Jesus... uh, He's talking to a Pharisee who thinks his lineage does it, And Jesus says, no, it doesn't. In fact, Pharisee, many besides israel are going to come to a saving knowledge of jesus christ whosoever will salvation is for whosoever will how do you know this preacher look at verse 16 for god so loved the world the world yeah pretty simple isn't it not the calvinist world of just the world of the elect that's a lie for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah. He so loved the world. First John, Behold what behold, but manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Thank you, Brother Jim. I went blank. Behold what manner of love the Father. He loved the world. He loved the world. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. That if you believe what Jesus said, and you come to Him in faith, placing all of your trust and faith in who He is, and what He accomplished, and what He has done, that very moment you have eternal life. Yeah. Your dead spirit is made alive. And once your spirit is made alive, oh, don't miss this, please. Once your spirit is made alive, there is nothing that can kill it again. Remember, it's killed in the garden. Once that spirit is made alive, there's nothing that can kill it again because the sin that killed it the first time has been eradicated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing's left to take it. (laughs) Eternally saved. Hallelujah. That's awesome. So if you're here this morning you've had a physical birth but it doesn't mean you've had a spiritual birth yeah. and if you're here this morning without a spiritual birth you are what Jesus himself called a whosoever a whosoever let me ask you something have you been born again do you remember the day when you approached God, believing that you were a lost sinner? Conviction was, listen, nobody approaches God without the drawing and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You don't wake up one day and turn over a new leaf. Say, I'm a Christian now. No, there will be the drawing and the conviction of the Spirit of God. And the, and the, thing, the, the, the thing is that God convicts and He draws everyone. Many will reject that. But there's a time when God will begin drawing in your life. I was 17 when that drawing started. and It was 10 years later when I responded. The drawing started by the preaching of the gospel. You remember the day when you you believed you were a lost sinner when you came to God? You remember that? You believed Jesus' blood was enough? You didn't understand all of it? You just knew whatever God said was true and I believe it. You believed God would save you and you asked Him to. Remember the day when your dead spirit was made alive? Do you Remember that? Yeah. Listen, folks, you will never, ever convince me that someone can get saved and not know that something that was dead in them has been made alive. You cannot convince me of that. When something as big as God moves in, you're going to tell me you don't know? You don't remember? Oh, no, you don't remember specific times? I, I'm not talking about that. You can look in that. Listen, folks, I remember that day when every bit of that weight and the guilt of sin washed off of me, and it was like I was free completely, and everything was gone. You can't tell me. You can't tell me that somebody gets right with God and that never there's no awareness at all that something's been made alive in them. You know, if you have never been born of the Spirit of God, today you can can move your faith from your family, from your religious lineage, from whatever you're placing it in. You can move your faith and place it in Jesus Christ alone. That's what Jesus was telling the Pharisee. And look what it ends with. Verse 17 and 18, For God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, And he ended his discourse as we have revealed to us, written here, with this Pharisee. John chapter 3, Jesus asked us the same question. Where is your faith today? Is it on your background? It is on your heritage? It is it your Christian upbringing? Is it in the faith of your parents is it in some prayer you said (laughs) or do you remember the day when you came to Jesus Christ believing who he was placing your faith in him asking him to save you and trusting him and you were born again do you remember that if that's not your testimony today you need to be saved And you need to be saved before it's too late. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. It's simple. And I do hope I didn't complicate it. I do know and I'm thankful that your Holy Spirit can do his work and will do. I'm thankful we have the confidence, God, that your word will not return void, but will accomplish that which you intended it to do. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you. As I look out here, I, I see many, many, many that profess Christ and have great fruits of their of, of the relationship with Christ. But God, only you know the heart. And it's possible today that there's somebody here who has never been born again of the Spirit of God. And Father, I ask that you'd bring them this morning, that you'd convict them once again, that they'd come today and get saved to those that have been born again of the Spirit of God, they are saved today. Father, would you help us, Lord, as we reach a lost world with the gospel, to be better equipped with what you've given us to reach them. Thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you for your salvation. Father, I thank you so much the day you rescued me Father, I pray you be glorified in Jesus' name. Would you stand, please?